I'm sure you've all heard the phrase, you have to dress for success. Am I right? All right, dress for success. Now, what exactly does that mean? Well, dressing for success basically means that you're going to dress in light of the occasion that you're a part of. I mean, you, you want to make sure that you're dressed appropriately and setting yourself up for success in, in whatever you do. So, for example, as a pastor, when, when I'm officiating a wedding or a funeral, I, I'm not going out there wearing my beach attire. All right, like I'm gonna dress for success. I'm gonna wear a suit and I'm gonna specifically wear a dark suit. That's a lesson I learned as a young pastor. I remember my very first wedding I officiated. I was still in seminary. I was a young man in my mid-20s and uh, I had just bought a brand new, just super cool, slick tan suit. It was summertime. I'm doing a summer wedding. I'm thinking, man, I'm gonna look sharp in my brand new tan suit. I showed up at the wedding a couple hours early and the mother of the bride chewed me out what are you doing in a tan suit don't you know this is a formal event you need to be in a dark suit and uh you better make be sure i ran home real quick and changed to put on my uh put on my dark suit i learned that lesson now, uh, it's the same thing. You know, if you're going to, uh, if you're a fireman, right, and you're called to a fire, my buddy Dave Peck here, right, he'll be here at work, and all of a sudden the fire alarm will ring, and he'll be called out. He'll rush down to the fire hall in Lindstrom, and when he gets to the fire hall, he is not putting on his snowshoeing outfit. No, he is dressing appropriately. He's putting on his firefighting gear. It, it's the same thing. If it, I'm, I'm one of the local tennis coaches here in Chicago. When I'm coaching tennis, I put on my tennis uniform. I, I'm not, again, I'm not wearing my beach attire or my snowshoeing outfit. You have to dress for success. You have to dress in light of the occasion and what you're seeking to achieve. Now, friends, it's the very same way for us as followers of Jesus Christ. See, see, Jesus says that he wants for us to experience life and life abundantly. But if we're going to experience the abundant life that God has in store for us, we need to dress ourselves appropriately. We need to dress ourselves in Christ. And this is what we've been talking about here the last two weeks and today in chapter 3 of Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. Remember uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Stephen preached and he looked at ch uh, chapter 3 verses 1 through 4. And, and in verse 3 specifically, we discovered that we have a new identity in Jesus Christ. We've died with Christ. We've been raised to life with Christ. When we put our trust in Jesus, he transforms us and we take on this new identity. It's no longer I who live, Paul says in Galatians 2.20, but it is Christ who lives in me. And then if you were with us last week, we talked about you, we need to dress ourselves now appropriately in light of this new identity that we've been given. And so we saw last week that the Apostle Paul says we need to kill our sin, we need to put off our old ways of living, our old attitudes, our old actions, and instead we need to dress ourselves in the likeness of Jesus Christ. And if you remember in verses 12 through 14, we saw what that looks like. Put on then, okay, clothe yourselves like Jesus. What does that look like? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, 
meekness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, right? These are all the traits that Jesus modeled for us. And Paul says, now we need to dress ourselves in light of Jesus, in light of this new identity that we have. We want to take on his attire. We want to live the way he lived. We want to look increasingly like Jesus. Now, the question we're going to address this morning is this. What difference does it make when we live our lives dressed in Christ? Right? You, you would think that if we're going to put on the right clothes, the, that we're going to dress ourselves up in Christ, what difference is that going to make in our lives and in our relationships? Well, here in our passage today, Paul shares some incredible blessings that are ours when we clothe ourselves in this new identity, clothing ourselves in Jesus Christ. I, I want to read our passage for us this morning, and then I want to come back and talk about what the life dressed in Christ looks like. We're in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15 through 4, verse 1 today. If you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open them up, keep them open, follow along this morning. Let me read this for you. You can read along, follow on the screen if you like. Paul continues after encouraging us to dress ourselves like Christ. He then says, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ." For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Now here in our passage this morning, Paul has given us a series of admonitions. And the word admonition simply means an instruction. An instruction for how we are to live our lives as followers of Jesus Christ. But friends, what I want you to notice this morning is that these are not just admonitions. They're also pictures. They're pictures or visions of what our lives can be when we live dressed in Christ. What, what does Paul show us here? Well, he shows us three things in our passage this morning, three visions of what our lives can be when we live dressed in Christ. The, the first thing Paul tells us is that the life dressed in Christ is a life where peace rules. Now, doesn't that sound good? 
a life where peace rules. Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Now, peace was a prominent concern in the Roman world at the time Paul was writing this letter. But you see, when the average Roman citizen thought of the idea of peace, they envisioned something very different from what Paul has in mind here. In the Roman Empire at this time, when the Roman citizen thought of peace, they thought of the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. And the Pax Romana, this was a term coined by Caesar Augustus in 27 BC. It was a period of peace throughout the Roman Empire, peace and security. But understand, it was a peace, an outer peace, that came through submission to Caesar and at the expense of your personal freedoms. Caesar reigned, and what he said was the rule and order of the day. This isn't the kind of peace that that Paul is talking about. Paul is talking about a different kind of peace, the kind of peace that Jesus brings into our lives, The, the Pax Christiana, the Christian peace, or the peace of Christ. This is an inner peace, It's a peace that comes through Christ's submission. Remember, Jesus Christ humbled himself and he took on flesh and he went to the cross to to die on behalf of our sins. He died humbling himself, submitting to the will of his Father. And it was through his submission and then the freedom that we experience in him that we can experience the kind of peace that Paul is talking about. This is a true freedom that Paul is talking about here, the Pax Christiana. It was a freedom from sin, a freedom from guilt and shame, a freedom from the effects of this fallen world system, a freedom from fear, a freedom from death. This was a completely different kind of peace that Paul was promoting. And so when he extends this invitation to let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, what he's talking about is really this deep contentment with life that we can experience, a contentment that comes when we dress ourselves in Christ, when we find our identity in Christ. Paul says, let his peace rule in your hearts. Now the word rule here is an interesting word. The word rule in the Greek literally means to act as judge or umpire. So so when Paul is talking about letting the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, what he's saying here is he's really saying let Jesus' peace be the referee for your heart. All right? And, And so what does this look like? Well, when we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts, friends, do you ever have doubts or or concerns about your salvation? Paul says, penalty, all right? You're breaking Colossians 1.19 because Jesus Christ has brought peace with us and God by reconciling us through himself on the cross. And so we're at peace with God. Friends, do you ever wrestle with anxiety? Do you ever get anxious? Penalty, all right? When you're struggling with anxiousness, don't ever forget The peace of Christ will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus the Lord, Philippians 4, 7 tells us. Do do you ever struggle with troubles and being afraid? Paul says, penalty, John 14, 27, right? Jesus says, my peace I give to you. Be not afraid, be not troubled. 
Do, do, you, ever, do you ever struggle with, with tribulations, with trials in your life, right? Paul says, penalty, right? Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Why? Because Jesus says, in me, you can have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus says, take heart, I've overcome the world. This is what Paul's talking about. Letting the peace of Christ be the referee in your heart over all situations and circumstances in your life. We let Jesus' peace rule. We let his peace judge. We let him be the arbiter in all of these situations. We got to look to Jesus. Now, here's where this gets really interesting in light of the idea of our relationships with others. Because the peace we experience with Christ, it's not just an individual peace, but it's a peace, as Paul says, that, is, that we're called to in one body. We're called to this peace in one body. So in other words, this is a peace that overflows to our relationships with others to our spouse, our family, our brothers and sisters in Christ. This, this peace overflows. Now, friends, if you're here this morning, if you're a, a normal human being here this morning, you know that peace in our relationships isn't always easy. Am I right? It's sometimes difficult. It, it can be a challenge to live in peace with others. I had to experience this reality this morning in our house getting ready for church. We're, we're down to one bathroom in our house. We're doing some remodeling in one of our bathrooms. And so we had four people getting ready for church, sharing one bathroom, one shower with, with two teenagers, right? I mean, it, it was challenging. And there were times this morning where God was saying, Jason, okay, practice what you preach. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. Right? We need to apply the peace of Christ to all of our circumstances and all of our relationships. Now, how can we experience this peace of Christ in the context of our relationships? Well, again, we need to let it rule. In other words, the peace with God that Christ achieved for us on the cross, this must be what rules in our conflicts with others. Let me say that again. The peace with God that Christ achieved for us on the cross, this must be what rules in our conflicts with others. And so in any situation, friends, we need to stop and we need to reflect on the question, how can I not seek peace with them when Christ at such great cost sought peace with me. Just think about that. When you're in the midst of conflicts in your relationships, an argument with your husband, a fight with your son or daughter, a wrestling with a brother or sister in Christ, how can I not seek peace with them when Christ at such great a cross, at cost sought peace with me? That should be the ruling motivation. That's what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You see, friends, when we are living dressed up in Christ, what this does is it forces us to confront the selfishness in our own hearts, and instead, like Christ, we live seeking what's best for the other person. Very interesting, a few years ago, I, I was involved in a counseling situation here at our church between two brothers in Christ. 
And, and these were brothers who for many years had been very dear friends, but there had been a, a business conflict between them. And, and a pretty significant sum of money was at stake. And, and they were having turmoil and conflict around this. And, and it was creating a division in their relationship. I, I invited these guys to come in and meet with me, and we sat there and we were talking, and I had one gentleman share his side of the story. I had another, the other gentleman share his side of the story. And as I'm sitting here listening to these two brothers who I knew had known each other for years, loved each other, cared about each other, I, I'm listening, I'm just thinking, I don't know how to reconcile this. Because they both had legitimate points. Like, they both were making good cases. It wasn't like one was clearly right and the other was clearly wrong. And I remember sitting there praying, Lord, give me wisdom. I don't know what to do here. And friends, I'll tell you something. It was really one of the most incredible experiences I've ever had in ministry. As we were sitting there and these brothers were talking, all of a sudden it was like the Holy Spirit's presence just completely came and permeated that entire office and that entire conversation and all of a sudden, the whole demeanor in both of these guys changed. And it, like, it was like a light switch went off. And all of a sudden, these guys were like, look at I don't even care about the money. I don't even care about any of the same. I just want to be reconciled to my brother here. And that was both of their heart's attitudes. It was incredible. And all I can attribute that to was the power of the Holy Spirit and two men who were dressed in Christ, who were letting the peace of Christ rule in their hearts in a difficult situation that involved a lot of money, but that was irrelevant. What mattered to these brothers was guarding the peace of Christ and keeping the unity in their relationship. It was, it was a beautiful thing. That's what Paul's talking about here, friends. Let me ask you this morning, do you long for peace in your marriage today? Do you long for peace in your relationships with your kids? Do you long for, for peace in your relationships here at church with your brothers and sisters in Christ? If you do, friends, the, the answer is to let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. What a beautiful thing that is. When God's people live with the peace of Christ ruling in their hearts. The, the second picture Paul gives us here is the life dressed in Christ. He tells us is one where worship abounds. Again, what an incredible idea. Living a life where worship abounds. Verses 16 through 17, Paul instructs us here. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. That, that phrase there, the word of Christ, what does that refer to? That, that simply means the whole entirety, the collection of Jesus' teachings and the message of the gospel. Paul's saying, let, let the message of Jesus, let the message of the gospel, let it dwell in you richly. And, and, and so he's talking about our fallenness, our sin, the, the amazing grace of God. He's talking about our new life in Christ. He's talking about the lordship of Jesus overall. He's talking about our calling to live as ambassadors of Christ. Right? When he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, he's talking about all of that. And all of these things should dwell in us richly. And what that means is that this message should inhabit our lives in abundance, it should dwell in us richly. The message of Jesus should dwell within us 
in abundance. I, I love how Eugene Peterson states this in his message translation. Okay, the message translation is not a good translation for doing scholarship, but for helping in our understanding of the modern language, sometimes it's really good. And I love how Eugene Peterson puts this verse. He says, give the gospel run of the house. Give the gospel run of the house. Let it dwell in you richly. Friends, you ever been to an all-inclusive resort? I, I've, been there, I've been to an all-inclusive resort once in my life. My first anniversary with my wife, we went down to Cancun, and we stayed in an all-inclusive resort. And at, if you ever go to an all-inclusive resort, they give you run of the house. And what that means is whatever you want, whenever you want it, it's yours, right? You pay one price, and then you can go do anything. You, you want to go to the pool? Go to the pool. You want to go paddleboarding? You go down to the beach, and you get a paddleboard. You need a drink? You go, and you get a drink. You want to go eat dinner? You go eat dinner. You have run of the house. It's awesome. This is what Paul's talking about when he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. He's saying, give it run of the house over your entire life. There shouldn't be a single area of our lives that's off limits to the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We give the message of Jesus run of the house in our career. We give the message of Jesus run of the house in our finances. We give the message of Jesus run of the house in our hobbies, right? There's no area of our lives that should be off limits. Paul says, let this message dwell in you richly. Then The next thing he tells us here is that this gospel saturation of our lives begins with teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Now, the first thing that I want to point out this morning in that phrase, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, is that this is a one another statement. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, friends, this isn't just a job for professional ministers, right? Like you come here on Sunday mornings and you're, you're coming expecting, hopefully, right, to be taught and admonished by me. But Paul says, look, no, 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 this isn't just being taught and admonished by your pastors. This is teaching and admonishing one another with all wisdom. We're supposed to be doing this collectively as the body of Christ, teaching each other, encouraging one another, spurring one another on to greater growth in Christ. This isn't just a job for our pastors, Right? This is all of us. Here at Lakes Free, we talk about our priority of family ministry. This has been one of our major ministry initiatives the last few years, encouraging family ministry. When, when we talk about family ministry here at Lakes Free, what that means for us is, yes, we want to invest in your lives, and we want to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. We, we want to help you to you know, become a better man, better woman of God, grow closer to Jesus more in his likeness. Right, That's all part of it, but family ministry is not just about ministering to moms and dads and grandpas and grandmas and kids, but it's about you then taking what you are learning and growing in at church and then bringing it home with you in the other six days of the week, applying those truths in your life and living them out and, and, and encouraging them and affirming them daily in your lives within your home. That's how relationships begin to grow and flourish in Jesus is when in the family context, we are taking the truths of the gospel and then living them out throughout the week. You know, parents here, if you're banking on your kids growing up and loving Jesus and walking faithfully in the Lord just because you bring them to church one hour a week, 
I mean, man, I pray that happens, but you got a big uphill battle to climb if that's your hope. You need to bring your kids to church, but you need to be reaffirming these truths in your home. You need to be living them out and modeling them in your relationships, right? It's more than just what our kids hear from our pastors. So Paul says that we need to be teaching and admonishing one another. He says, secondly, that this should be done in all wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge in action. Now, this is really important. Knowledge in action. Why is this important? What it means is that our instruction and encouragement of one another can't be just empty words. We, we can't be hypocrites about this. Our teaching and admonishing should be rooted in truths that we ourselves are being transformed by. Right, So when we're at home and we're encouraging our kids to do something, to honor the Lord, to walk in obedience to him, man, we better be living that out ourselves. Right, Integrity matters here, doesn't it? Our, our kids, not just kids, everybody, we see through the person real quick who says, do as I say, not as I do. Right? Don't give me that. I can't be telling my kids to honor the Lord in their speech and language if I'm walking around the house using swear words on a regular basis. See, integrity matters. We need to be teaching the truths that we ourselves are being transformed by. That's what Paul's talking about, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge in action. Paul next goes on to describe the life where worship abounds by addressing our worship through singing. The word worship literally means declaring God's truth. And one of the ways that we declare God's truth and his true worth, declaring God's true worth, worship, one of the ways that we do that is by singing to him. Now, friends, is there any issue in the life of the church that causes more contention than the topic of music, right? Like, and, and our singing to the Lord, you know, it's like, why don't we sing more hymns, Jonathan? Why don't we sing more praise songs, Jonathan? You know, the songs were too loud. They were too quiet. You know, I mean, like, you just can't win when it comes to music. But I find it really interesting that God anticipated these issues in the church, didn't he? All the way back to 2,000 years ago, God addressed the topic of singing for the church. Look what Paul says. God inspired the Apostle Paul to encourage us as the church to sing with variety. How are we to sing? We're to sing with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So even going back 2,000 years ago in the early church, there was a variety in the worship through singing. There were a combination of songs, ancient music that was rooted in scripture, and there were contemporary songs that were inspired by the Holy Spirit. They had them 2,000 years ago, just like we have them here today. Now, friends, this is important to understand. If God's not opposed to variety, why should we be, right? God says sing with a whole variety of kinds of songs. But notice this, regardless of style, all of this singing was ultimately to be grounded in thanksgiving. We sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with what? With thanksgiving in our hearts to God. Friends, have you ever noticed that Christianity is a singing religion? 
Like, no matter where you go throughout the world, throughout history, Christianity has always been a singing religion. We sing songs of worship, songs of praise, declaring God's worthiness, right? Why do we do that? It's because we are thankful. It's because our hearts are grateful for what Jesus has done for us, and that overflows into song. Do you know there's no other religion in the world like that? Where, where people gather and sing praise songs to their deity? It's only Christianity. You, you drive home today. You scan through your FM radio stations. You're going to find probably two or three contemporary Christian radio stations. Guess what you're not going to find? You're not going to find contemporary Buddhist radio or contemporary Muslim radio. Why? They have nothing to give praise for. They're just religions of systems of works and rituals and duties. But as Christians, we have a reason to give thanks. We have a reason to sing praise. It's because of our gratitude for what Jesus has done for us. Now, as if to make sure we don't miss God's goal for us of experiencing a life where worship abounds, Paul concludes this section with these words. He says, And whatever you do, in word or deed, do Everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Friends, let me ask you a question this morning. What does the word whatever mean? It means whatever, doesn't it? Whatever you do, in whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. How much of our lives... Friends, how much of our lives does that encompass? Encompasses all of it, doesn't it? And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Paul's talking here about the totality of our lives. Everything we do is to be an act of worship done unto the name of the Lord Jesus. Friends, I want you to think about this for a moment. What would it mean for your life to live in light of that admonition? What would it mean for your life today to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus with thanksgiving in your hearts to God? That's an important question to think about, living our lives in light of that calling. And notice Paul once again reminds us of the importance of thanksgiving here in verse 17. Friends, thanksgiving is so important. It's more than just a holiday we celebrate once a year. Thanksgiving is a conscious attitude of the heart rooted in the awesome wonder of the gospel that fuels a life where worship abounds. Are you a person of thanksgiving here today? If you're not, it may be that you have never really encountered the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you want to be a person of thanksgiving, you can, even this morning, by asking Jesus to come into your heart, confessing your sin, acknowledging your need for him, acknowledging the reality that I am not Lord of my life. Jesus, you're the Lord of my life. And I want to humble myself before you. And you can experience the new life in Christ that comes when your sins are forgiven and your guilt and shame is put in the past and God sets you on a path that leads to life and life to the full. And friends, you too can be a person whose life is characterized by thanksgiving. 
you can know the reality of a life where worship abounds. It's a beautiful thing. I want that for you. I pray that for you. Paul wants that for you. Jesus wants that for you. The third picture Paul gives us in our passage this morning. A life dressed in Christ is a life where relationships thrive. Here in chapter 3, verses 18 through 4, verse 1, what we find here is what is called a household code. Household code. Now, in the ancient world, the Greeks, the Romans, the, their philosophers and ethicists, they, they came up with this question, what determines the good life? And they tried to apply that question to all aspects of life, including your home life. What, what does the good life look like? And so they created household codes, household codes that determined the way that a, a house should run and what a well-ordered house looks like and what the good life looks like. But as you can imagine, in this culture, in the Greco-Roman culture, these household codes were patriarchal and they were authoritarian. In other words, it was really about what constitutes the good life for the man of the house. That was the goal in the ancient world, in the household codes. But in Scripture, we find a number of household, co household codes written by the Apostle Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Passages like the one today that we're in, Ephesians chapter 5, 1 Timothy chapter 5, Titus chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 3. We've preached on a lot of these here at Lakes Free. So I'm not going to go into a whole lot of detail on this this morning, but what I do want you to understand is what Paul does is he completely subverts the household codes of the ancient world and redefines them in light of Jesus. And so in our passage this morning, when, when Paul gives instructions to wives and husbands and children and servants and masters, right, what he's doing is he's taking the expectations of the ancient world and he completely revolutionizes them. And, and so people would have heard three surprising things in these household codes by Paul. The first surprise they would have heard is Paul dignifying women, children, and slaves, now, this is really important to understand when we read these verses because in the ancient world, Roman law treated women, children, and slaves as nothing more than property. Okay, you didn't have legal rights. You didn't get a say in how the household was running. But Paul, in his household codes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Paul respects women and children and slaves. He gives them a whole different dignity than they had ever known before. The, the second surprise that people would have come across in these household codes was Paul humbles the man of the house. This is really interesting because, again, in Roman culture, the home was for the man. All of the, the household codes of the ancient world, it was all about how the man can experience the good life in the home. And so what does that mean for your wife? for your mistress, for your servants, for your children. It was all about the man's well-being and the man's good. But here, Paul says, no, it's not the home for the man, but it's the man who is to be for the home. Paul completely changes the nature of the conversation. The third surprise Paul gives here is he elevates Jesus overall. Roman culture strictly dictated lines of authority. Everyone in the home had their place. 
It started with the man of the house, and then you had the wife, and you had the mistresses, and you had the children, and you had the servants. And again, everybody under the man of the house was just property, but there were strict lines of order, strict lines of authority. But here in Paul's household code, Paul places everybody under the authority of Jesus. It was a revolutionary concept. And, and, and so if you're here this morning and if you consider yourself to be the man of the house, right? Remember, the house doesn't exist for you. You exist for the sake of your household, for the sake of your home. That, that's what God's word says. Paul revolutionizes everything in terms of our relationships. I, I want to put a picture up on the screen that helps define what Paul shares here in these verses. The last part of chapter 3, the first verse of chapter 4 the biblical vision of the well-ordered house. It all revolves around Jesus, doesn't it? In in all the instructions Paul gives, in in the ways that he subverts what was expected in Greco-Roman culture, all of these relationships are filtered through Jesus. So wives, how do you relate to your husbands? You relate to him filtered through Jesus. Husbands, how do you relate to your wife? You relate to your wife in that relationship filtered through Jesus. So Paul says to wives here, submit to your husbands. How? As is fitting in the Lord. In the parallel passage in Ephesians chapter 5, which is almost word for word to Paul's instructions here in Colossians 3, in Ephesians 5.21, Paul says, submit to one another husbands and wives. How so? Out of reverence for Christ. Again, Paul puts Jesus at the center of all these relationships. He says says to children, obey your parents. Why? Because this pleases the Lord. He says to fathers, raise up your children and discipline them. But how are you to do that? You're to do that in the name of the Lord. He says to the bondservants in the house, obey your masters. Why? Why? Because you're really serving the Lord Christ. And he says to the masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly. Why? Because you also have a master in heaven. Again, friends, this was revolutionary. And it was passages like these that ultimately brought about the downfall of slavery in the Western world. As the message of the gospel began to transform that culture. How did that work? Well, think about it. If you're a master and you're hearing words like this in scripture, how on earth can I hold somebody in slavery when Christ at such great cost has bought my freedom? You see, putting Jesus at the center of these relationships transforms everything. I was counseling a young couple recently. And this young man came into my office and he was just so upset, you know, like his wife just wasn't living up to his expectations. She doesn't do this. She should do that. She won't do this. It was all about like his problems with his wife. And in one of our sessions, I asked him this question. I said, what would Christ have you do? He just stopped and thought for a moment. And I'll tell you something, he went home a changed man. That one question transformed his his life. His wife came into my office a week later, what'd you tell my husband? (laughs) What'd you do? I said, I didn't do anything. Jesus did something. And I said, I'm going to ask you the same question because you know what? Your husband has some legitimate concerns. 
And so I'm going to ask you the same question I asked him. What would Christ have you do in your marriage? And that couple to this day is living in harmony with Jesus at the center of their marriage. Putting Jesus at the center changes everything, friends. Let me ask you this morning, what relational challenges are you facing today? Maybe it's with your spouse or a child or a friend or a brother and sister here at, the, here at church. Ask yourself the question, what would Christ have me do in that relationship? See, I'd be willing to bet that if you began approaching that relationship in light of this question, you'd begin to see some powerful changes take place. Why not try putting Jesus at the center? See, friends, Paul's given us some beautiful pictures here today of the life dressed in Christ. It's a life where peace rules in our hearts, where worship abounds, where relationships thrive. It's no wonder Paul says in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Why would we be ashamed of something that has so much power to transform everything in our lives? See, Jesus gave it all for us. How much do we owe him? And how can we apply our love and devotion to him in the relationships that we have in our lives today? It changes everything, friends. I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to experience the abundant life God promises us, you need to dress for success. You need to live dressed in Christ. We're going to close in a word of prayer. John and our worship team are going to lead us in one final song. So I'm going to invite you to stand for our prayer this morning. And as we sing, I want you to sing and let this song just be a reflection of your heart to the Lord and a motivation for us as we depart and live dressed in Christ this week. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your amazing grace, sending your Son into this world to die for our sins, to give us the possibility of experiencing first and foremost new life with you, but then a new life that overflows into our relationships with others a life where peace rules in our hearts and worship abounds and our relationships are transformed. Lord, we desire to experience this kind of life. And so help us to clothe ourselves in the likeness of Christ and then help us through the power of your spirit alive within us to, to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ with him at the center of everything. And Lord, may we see the impact of that in the peace we experience, in our thankfulness, our worship, and in our relationships, Lord. We want you to be the center. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us, Lord. Help us now to live to honor you. We pray this in your great name. Amen. <laughs>
any of you would like prayer this morning, some of our elders and Stephen ministers will be here at the front of the sanctuary. We'd love to pray for you. I want to leave you with these words from Jude, verses 1 and 2. And now to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. God bless you, and have a great week. Amen. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.